they have a show called Game Changer. It changes every single show. They have three contestants on every show, and it's a completely different like thing. Nobody knows what to expect other than the host every single episode. The last, the latest episode was three um, musical improvisers and a musical improvising pianist. They improvised a musical for 30 minutes, and it was the most talent-filled thing i've ever watched i was blown away <laughs> i was like human beings can do this <laughs> like what <laughs> like that like they're improvising full-on musical numbers the pianist is improvising music for the stuff that they're singing and they created like a whole arc narrative story what so do you want us to improvise a water musical at this moment <laughs> No, no, I don't have the musical acumen to even begin that, nor the that's improvising that's you, acumen. I was waiting for you. I was waiting for you to be like, okay, now I need you to improvise a thirty-second musical. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water, one podcast. I'm Bob Crossan, senior managing editor for Water and Waste Digest. I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. And I'm Lauren Del Cello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products. And in this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we will discuss the national news regarding the U.S. EPA's finalization of the fifth unregulated contaminant monitoring rule, also known as UCMR5, and its implica implications for water systems. We'll also touch on the launch of a new EPA video challenge called Companies Crushing Pollution and share how to get involved. Lastly, our interview this month is with Nate Allen. He is the executive director for WaterStart. I spoke with Nate about WaterStart, innovation in the water sector, and how tactical decisions can be part of a grander one water strategy but first we have a little bit of news about the podcast and some exciting things about what we're doing with the branding so lauren do you want to kick us off with that Awesome. Thank you, Bob. So we are excited to share that starting next month, the podcast home is going to be moving a little bit. The podcast is going to live on our new site and brand, onewatermedia.com, which is a collection of insight and information from all our brands, Water and Waste Digest, Stormwater Solutions, and Water Quality Products, um, with a focus on One Water. So our mission statement for the brand is that One Water Media will tell deep and meaningful stories about the intersections of the water industry, including drinking water, wastewater, stormwater, and industrial water. And by sharing these stories, we aim to elevate the value of water in all its forms. So starting next month, look out for the podcast there on, again, that's onewatermedia.com, as well as some exclusive insight and thought leadership pieces that kind of continue the conversation of stories we've been starting here. So uh, I'm, I think I'll open it up if anyone else wants to comment on, you know, what this, what this brand means to our, our team and, and the podcast hosts together. It's, it's been a long time coming and everyone on the podcast has all worked very hard to bring it to fruition to you. Yeah, it truly has been a very long time coming. We've been working on this for practically since we started the podcast. <laughs> the framework and ideas behind it have been there since the inception of this podcast and getting it to where it is has been a very long journey. So we're very excited to finally bring it out there. Yeah. And then the only other thing I think that we're all excited about is, I don't know about you, Lauren and Bob, but a lot of my conversations with industry professionals have been focusing on how connected all water sectors are. And so I'm really excited to finally have this platform to highlight that nexus even more. So we're very excited. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've always seen... Yeah, I was going to say, we've always seen those intersections between things even prior to starting this podcast, so it always seemed like a natural evolution, and being able to have a platform for that and tell those bigger, grander uh, stories is very fun. We should celebrate. Woohoo! Yeah, (laughs) pop some champagne! (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I guess we can transition to some news uh, after that exciting announcement, but um, first thing on the docket was, again, talking about the UCMR5. On December 20th, the US EPA finalized the fifth unregulated contaminant monitoring rule, the UCMR5, which establishes nationwide monitoring for 29 PFAS and lithium in drinking water. UCMR monitors for priority unregulated contaminants in drinking water every five years, and the Safe Drinking Water Act requires all drinking water systems serving between 3,300 and 10,000 people to participate by collecting samples from 2023 to 2025 and report the final results through 2026. Now, according to an EPA press release, the UCMR5 will collect new data on 29 PFAS, and the EPA hopes it will expand its understanding of the frequency and magnitude at which these chemicals are found in the nation's drinking water systems. One of the things I wanted to touch on with this is we know that a lot of states have already begun the process of regulating these on their own terms, so this will be an interesting bounce back between those two things and we've talked about it before and i think we even mentioned it in our state of the industry episode that one of the big challenges regarding pfas is just how low the detection levels and treatment levels are likely to be required to because once we get into those parts per trillion there's even talks i've heard tangentially but not officially about what the next step is if we end up going to parts per quadrillion, which would be absolutely mm. bonkers. Bonkers indeed. That's a great <laughs> adjective for you know a really big problem that I, I'm sure we see play out in, in all these sectors. The the only point I wanted to touch on regarding this too, you know, like Bob said, it's early days, but I wanted to touch on the small system aspect as well. So UCMR specifies that a representative sample of systems serving fewer than 3,300 people participate, subject to the availability of funds and laboratory capacity, et cetera. But if the necessary funds are appropriated, the UCMR5 will significantly expand the number of small drinking water systems participating in the program, which would be great to see and provide a better snapshot of what America's drinking water situation really looks like. So that's an exciting aspect to it. Yeah, we, I should note, too, that the bipartisan infrastructure law does have funding related to PFAS mitigation and stuff like that, too. So there is some funding that will be behind this. The question is just, is that going to be enough for what the regulations are going to call for as well? So, but anyway, Katie, you want to talk to us about the, the company's crushing pollution video challenge? <laughs> I sure do. So wrapping up the news portion of today's episode with uh, some more lighthearted news. On December 1st, the US EPA announced the launch of the company's crushing pollution video challenge. It asked students and other stakeholders to submit videos illustrating how businesses in the US are reducing toxic chemical releases through innovative pollution prevention practices. The agency will award a total of $50,000 in prize money through the challenge to participating individuals and teams. All videos must be submitted by March 1st. And according to an EPA press release, the challenge aims to promote pollution prevention innovation 
raise awareness, increase knowledge, and showcase companies implementing forward-looking pollution prevention practices. You can learn more and submit at epa.gov p2. Awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing some of those videos. Maybe we can get an interview with the uh, administrators of that program about yeah. some of the better ones. Yeah, that'd be great. I just love that too, that it kind of showcases for me more the value of PR and communication and spurring innovation. Yeah, and I like getting students involved too, that younger generation, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, that that's a really uh, important point that you bring up there, Katie, that getting students involved and getting them to understand that there's an whole, a whole area of business that they could get involved in, a whole mm. market and industry at such a young age is very, very cool and needs to be done a little bit more often because we all know how difficult the whole staffing challenge has been recently. We really need to start fostering those things much earlier in the pipeline. Yep, for sure. We've talked about that ad nauseum on here. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we'll talk about it in the future because labor shortages are uh, a major part of the conversation at this moment. Yeah. Talk about two terms that we're going to be hearing all year, recruiting and retention. But yeah, yeah. that's for another another episode <laughs> and another day. We'll, we'll touch on that for sure later on this year. For now, I want to go to our interview with Nate Allen, the executive director for Waterstart, where we talked about some innovation and tactical things for One Water. I am here with Nate Allen, the executive director for Waterstart. Thank you so much for being here, Nate. We appreciate your time and, and uh, energy and talking to, us, talking to us today. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Bob. Great to be here. I wanted to start first by understanding a little bit more about Waterstart. Could you talk a little bit about Waterstart and this new channels thing that you guys have going on <laughs> and what that means? Like, how can people actually interact with it as well? <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Happy to. Thanks, Bob. So Waterstart is... Um, uh, non-for-profit channel for accelerating the adoption of water technology. And so um, our mission is to try and make it easier for water agencies and large consumers to try new technology. Um, and uh, we now have been around for, let's see, since 2015 is really when we got wow. up and running. Um, we've now done 40 projects in that time. Um, and we have recently launched a channels platform for our members uh, where they can be sharing between one another, peer to peer, um, what their priorities are, what kind of companies that we have worked with them to vet, to look at finding solutions for those priorities. And then what are the outcomes of all these different pilot projects that we've done over the years? Uh, it's not a sales channel. It's really intended to be a peer-to-peer -peer network where they can talk with one another in order to share experience and learning in order to make it easier for somebody to try one of the solutions maybe one of their peers has already tried, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that type of knowledge transference is difficult to come by sometimes within these big, broad industries. I mean, water industry is enormous when you really look yeah. at the scale of it. So like there may be a really cool solution that just doesn't have as much exposure as like your big names, like your Xylems and Avoquas, right? So yeah, absolutely. And that's really where we live, right? Is, you know, they've, a lot of our members have looked at what Suez offers, looked at what Beolia offers, looked at what, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Um, even uh, friends like at, at Jacobs, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like they're out there pushing these things too. It's, it's really terrific. Right. But, um, a number of the members want to approach things from new directions. Right. And, you know, the ecosystem, a lot of kind of the established water technology ecosystem, you know, obviously is set up in favor of really big, large companies. Um, and that makes a challenge for the smaller service providers that are approaching things in a new way. Oftentimes they don't even fit in the RFP description, right? Yeah. Um, and, and how do they break through? Um, and often our members end up spending a ton of money just on the RFP process and then end up with a super complicated, expensive solution that really was designed for something else. But, you know, the vendor they already work with sends them that solution too for this problem as well. And so we've really tried to help our members get easier, more direct access to smaller, innovative companies. Yeah. So I, my next question was kind of asking you what your what problems you guys are trying to solve. And it sounds like the a big part of the problem is just like connecting the correct people with the correct people, for one. Um, are there are there problems from a technological side that you're seeing as trends within that uh, kind of aspect that you'd like to talk about as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm sure it's it's trends that, you know, lots of folks are thinking about. Um, you know, we really focus on our members' priorities, not even just challenges, but things that they are really to work, they're ready to work on now. Um, and so, and they're often very tactical, right? You know, we are not a strategic consultant to come into a whole organization and give them some big rollout plan of, of a new SCADA system. That is not what we're working at, right? We have uh, members who bring us challenges that are like, hey, we don't have uh, the ability for our management team to know if all of our regulatory um, compliance reports are being submitted on time. How do we do that? <laughs> yeah. Right? Kind of, a, kind of a critical part of the management of a water or waste it's, facility. <laughs> it's super critical, right? It's super critical, but, you know, kind of the you know, the thing that people kind of hate to admit is that like those things are living in an Excel spreadsheet on some person's, you know, desktop in some office somewhere. And if they get sick, if they retire, where, where does, where does it go? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a real testament to, I think the people working in the water industry that they can oh, be yeah, trusted. Yeah. Like, because really, like our members have very few non-compliance problems, yeah. <laughs> right? So like it is kind of working, but also, you know, the leadership now within our membership is really looking down the road. You know, they're really having to adapt to this new staffing, remote staff or and mm-hmm. organizational management. Um, it's It's like there's been tons of discussion around. It's really accelerated all that digitization of... Um, how the operation of a utility works from the pipes and pumps all the way into the office with reports and documents, right? So yeah. um, we we really try and respond to whatever our members ask us for. And it's from things you would expect about pump efficiency, leak detection, um, you know, ins- 
inspection, manless inspection of infrastructure Mm -hmm. down into like that example I gave you with, you know, like office space kind of help, right? (laughs) Reports getting filed on time, right? So, um, and yeah. even to your point on the on that regular regulatory side, it, there's only going to be more regulations like it's like they just they build on each other. So like yeah. the the amount and volume of reporting necessary is likely only to increase, which means management tools to understand when things need to go when when you can wait, what like all of that is going to yeah. is actually a really incredibly useful tool, especially for those smaller systems where you have the one person who's doing all the water, all the wastewater and all the roads. That's right. <laughs> like... that, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, you know, I'm I'm kind of, um, you know, this 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 problem, we'll just dive into this because we're talking about it. You know, we we found this tech company called Clear um, out of Ireland about three years ago, and they came in really basic need with Southern Nevada Water Authority for helping them just like, they had a LEM system, right? So the lab was in great shape, but otherwise it was just everybody having their own copy on their own desk in their own department, right? About which thing gets submitted on time and management was losing sleep over it, right? And they just came in with a very straightforward management process. They had um, spun out of Irish water when Irish water was created 10, 15 years ago, right? During the financial crash. Um, Anyway, and they have since gone into three other members of ours, all using them for different things, you know, and you brought up this issue of, um, you know, like it made me think of the the transition from building something new where you've got the NEPA reports and you've got all of these construction um, regulations that have to be followed. And then a new rate that that new construction is being driven by a new regulation. And then once it's operational, where does all that get handed off to? How does it go? So they've helped our member urban utilities in Brisbane make that kind of transition where a new regulation was introduced. They had to do new construction on the treatment plant and now they're operating it and clear supported them the whole process with their software to make sure that they were in compliance throughout, you know, new regulation, construction, and operation. It's, it's really a, a new, unique, valuable type of tool for the water industry. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you were able to talk about some of like the, the, the examples of the solutions that are being able to be provided through this program, because I think that that helps give a good idea to especially the listeners, but also like the utility folks and, and everything who are part of our audience to understand like, how nuanced or how how no problem is too small <laughs> you yeah. know like it, oh, it's like absolutely. sometimes the smallest problems are the bit are, are actually the biggest ones like these small management things that need to be done can be a, an albatross you know um yeah so. yeah completely agree and and oftentimes kind of because they're small the traditional like procurement routes are really frustrating and it makes people not even bother with it you know so like like with Clear, I think we did like a $50,000 pilot three years ago with mm-hmm. them and proved it with one application. And then we had another member come along and say, oh, I wonder if it worked for this. And, mm-hmm. and it's scaled and they're doing you know millions of dollars worth of contracts now with our members mm-hmm. um, just from that one little $50,000 pilot that frankly was hardly worth growing through the normal procurement process for in the first place. It's really challenging, oh, yeah. right? Oh, um, yeah. 
you know, similar kind of things, what, two years ago after Metropolitan Water District of Southern California joined, they were really frustrated with their CIP management software. There just wasn't the ability to do the modeling and forecasting that like, okay, they have a CIP um, budget, right? You know, and all these projections with it, nothing goes according to that plan. How do you factor for if you change this one part of the schedule on this one part of the overhaul plan, what happens to the rest of it, right? Oh, yeah. It's not yeah. just $10 million. It may also be six months or it may be compromising a permit process that takes, takes you three years. And so you need to know that if you change this one little part, <laughs> it's going to have these, all these other impacts, right? Yeah. And What's this domino effect is <laughs> complicated. And we, we helped them do a pilot again, maybe it was a $75,000 pilot, something like that mm -hmm. um, with a company called Envision. And um, it paid for itself immediately, like in the first six weeks. Right. Um, so you know, again, it's sometimes it's these just these little tools that in a huge agency like Metropolitan, going through procurement to spend $50,000 is often, you know, frustrating for staff. You know what I mean? For staff that are the operators in it or the engineers trying to run in their daily business. And that's a big part of what we come in and try to make easier, make it easier yeah. for them to try these things. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Lower that barrier to entry so that it isn't a burden. It's a, a benefit. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's right. Well, I this I've, this is also a One Water podcast, so I wanted to ask a little bit about that. We talked a little bit before the call, before we started recording about One Water and kind of the influence yeah. that you guys can have. And it could you explain kind of like where where you guys feel like you fit into that whole One Water framework and how you how you align with some of the values that are instilled there? Well, we really far, follow our members' lead and. I think all of our members um, understand that there is only one kind of water um, and <laughs> we have to preserve it, right? I mean, from, from us, we really got our start in Las Vegas, uh, working with Southern Nevada Water Authority there. You know, and 25 years ago, they really pioneered this idea of cooperation on the Colorado River between different agencies, whether they're drinking water, wastewater, irrigation, you know, it if they're competing and saying, well, this is so-and-so's water and that's so-and-so's water, then it's just a race to the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that ethos was brought to us really early on um, and I think continues to uh, be represented in our members in the UK and Australia who all are looking at water recycling, desalination, conservation incentive, incentive programs. Now, all of them are thinking that way at a strategic level and that translates to influence the kind of projects and priorities that we're given by our members because we really work at a tactical level right so it's you know our members coming to us with you know some of these examples like i was saying before that are pretty specific um you know we're really not in a position at least as of today um, where someone would come to us and say, hey, we want to do a desalination plant. Can water start help us? We're not working at that scale yet. You know, we're kind of in between, you know, after R&D, when a solution is proven and ready to go to market or maybe in market, but it's not widely adopted or widespread in the industry. Um, and these large scale 
you know, kind of infrastructure, classic infrastructure projects, right? So one water is definitely influencing what we're, what we do. Um, but a lot of our day-to-day business is at a very tactical level, trying to figure out how do we operationalize mm-hmm. concepts like that, right? Yeah, because the concept of One Water is so high level. It's so huge. It's so For huge. Sure. It's so broad. It covers yeah. so many market sectors, and so like all these small things that you guys are doing are feeding into, like like you said, if they're strategizing already around this type of thing what they're coming to you for from a tactical perspective is feeding into that strategy in some way, shape or yeah. form, which means it's going, making its way all the way up top to that one water that, framework. Right. That's exactly right. You know, it's similar kind of, you know, there's been a recent push by agencies. A number of our members have come out with net zero goals. Right. Okay. And uh, we've had some discussions. We facilitated discussions between members about doing that. And how do you do that? And why do you do that? You know, but for us, it's always about, okay, you know, you've got some goals, you know, you need to do these things. How do you actually operationalize it? And that's what we come into to really try and sort through and make easier. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I do appreciate your time, your time and everything. I wanted to ask, like, I guess my last question would be just what trend types of trends do you expect going forward in 2022? Where do you guys see water start going? How do you see channels going and what are kind of the next steps for you? And what, what do you see as the next step for your members? Well, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm about the infrastructure bill and what's going to come out of that, right? Um, We're really excited to see water innovation um, come back into front and center of um, kind of the national conversation. So um, we're, we're enthusiastic about that, hoping to see a lot of resources come in to help further accelerate some things that like we've been talking about from early on, like, you know, I said, we started around 2015. We had a number of our members back then that were like, we'll never do the cloud. Right. <laughs> that's, that's how far we've come right to where under lockdown, you know, we have members who have treatment plant operators that are calling in right. And running the treatment plant, not even being on site. And that, that even, you know, six months before lockdown was a non-starter discussion. And so people are finding ways to do this. They're getting creative. They're being um, both required to become more digital, um, but also, you know, the workforce is turning over and, and yeah. the age of the, the uh, operators is going down and they're more, I guess, technology native. And that's going to have a big impact on us too. Um, you know, we, we've already started to see our projects increase. We, this, what, six months ago, funded a project between Xylem and Southern Nevada Water Authority looking at smart water networks. It's the largest pilot that we've ever done. It's our port. It's half a million dollars of a pilot looking at how to model and operate um part of the infrastructure system so that you have more real-time data going into how you're setting the water system to deliver water and how to forecast how much water they're going to need. That kind of idea has been talked about for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And so for us to get to a point where people are ready to start trying things at that larger scale, that higher level of sophistication, and even having frankly, having companies like Xylem being willing to work with a group like us 
you know, water start a pretty small non-for-profit. Um, and, and in order to partner with some of our members, you know, I think it's a really exciting time. There's going to be a lot more interest in doing larger projects. People really understand the need to deploy these big um, organization-wide data management systems and yeah. put put all of that information, new digital information to use, right? Yeah, those concepts can feel so grand that they are, it's almost like I don't even want to attempt it because it's too grand. But having a having what you said with the Southern Nevada Water Authority, you have something where you're like, here's something at this specific scale. We know that we can do this to expand that scale or shrink that scale to fit the needs of you. <laughs> like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, the pilot is operating all of SNWA's side of the organization, you know, and that's to be at a pilot project that's a whole um, set of infrastructure, right? But it's much more simple than doing the distribution network, which would be a full-scale rollout. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're really seeing the scale of these projects increase rapidly. And I think it's because um, there really is a big culture change that has happened in the last five years in the water sector where people know they need to be more innovative. They know that they have to adapt to population change, to climate change, right? Mm -hmm. And and they got to get moving on it. So it's every agency we visit with is trying to figure out how to do more projects where they're leveraging digital technology in particular. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so that's <laughs> and how that digital technology allows them to do more with the less that they've been given or the less that they currently have. Isn't that right? I mean, <laughs> so. I, I was on the phone with two other agencies this week, you know, and they're at like 80 percent staff. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everybody's running like that right now. It's really a challenging time. And people are looking to innovation to try and bring some solutions for those things. Yeah. Yeah, gosh, staffing, that's a whole nother conversation for a it whole sure is. time. We could talk about that for a whole nother hour. It sure but is, absolutely. Thanks so much, Nate. I, this is a great conversation. I loved hearing about what you guys are doing at Waterstart, and I'm, I'm looking forward to following you guys a lot more closely and seeing some of the cool stuff that you guys have on the yeah, horizon. Yeah, thanks, Bob. So, um, for everyone who's listening, please check out our, our show notes. You'll, we'll have some links to some of the Waterstart stuff so you can check that out. And thanks once again, Nate. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, you too. Look forward to doing it again sometime. Thank you so much, Nate. I really appreciated that call with you and that conversation. I It was actually a lot of fun and really interesting to hear the perspective that you are bringing and how you guys are helping to shape things at the degree that you're able to do it, especially for some of those smaller systems as well. But we're going to jump into some housekeeping. And as always, we're going to start with water quality products. So Lauren, take it away. Ooh, I like that. Let's start with WQP. Um, so continuing kind of with that celebratory trend that we introduced at the start of the episode, we've got some more things to celebrate. So WQP, we just launched our new Faces of the Industry e-newsletter and hub. It's all about people-focused content and celebrating the people behind the industry. So you can check that hub out at wqpmag.com backslash faces-industry and then submit pitches for people people focus content to highlight there at WQP editor at sgcmail.com over to Bob for the latest with WWD. 
Yeah, so right now we have our nominations open for our WWD Young Pros for 2022. You can fill out the nomination form by visiting bit.ly slash WWD Young Pros nomination. Nominations close March 1st, but it is never too early to recognize your rising star, so please do so at your earliest convenience as it will help us highlight the best people in the industry. And also make sure to check out the weekly video interviews that I've been conducting throughout the past couple of years. We're continuing them in 2022 with some great content on the line. So check those out at bit.ly slash WWD Weekly Digest. And lastly, we haven't talked about this in quite some time, but I have some travel coming up and I wanted to highlight some of those. I will be at the Water Reuse Symposium, which is going to be in San Antonio, Texas later this year. I believe that's in March. And I will also be attending the Membrane Technology Conference that AWWA is putting on. So if you're going to be at either of those, uh, drop a line to me. I'd love to meet you and see you there. And finally, SWS is now accepting nominations for its Young Pros and Industry Icon Award programs. To submit nominations, visit www.eStormwater.com slash nominations. Similar to WWD, nominations close March 1st, but uh, don't wait. Go ahead and submit today. And um, I will be traveling starting next month as well. I will be at the IECA conference in Minneapolis uh, about a month from now, February 16th or 18th. And then shortly after, I will be at the um, Young Pro Summit in Orlando. So I'm very excited for both. And if you're going to be there, let me know. We can connect. And with that, that concludes our episode. So don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, really anywhere you can get podcasts. You can always reach us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much, everyone. Happy New Year. <laughs> Lauren, bringing it back full circle to musicals <laughs> with some show tunes, movements, and a little jingle. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>